0: If you would, turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. While you're turning to Matthew 25, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, beginning next Sunday, for those of you watching at home, the live stream will not start at 1045 with the beginning of the service. The live stream will start now when the minister comes up, the preacher comes up. Uh, So about 11.15, 11.20, it's 11.19 right now. It's about now uh, when the preacher comes up is when the live stream will begin for everybody watching at home, all right? So that, uh, for everybody wondering, that doesn't mean we're stopping the live stream, it means we're starting the live stream when the preacher comes up, all right? Next thing, starting next week, we are very, very excited about this. We are going to begin the long journey together through the book of Revelation. Hopefully you will be here the first Sunday in February, and we will be studying the book of Revelation. We have a gift for every one of you all. Some of y'all may remember back when we started the book of James. We have a nice little journal that inside the journal has the entire book of Revelation and pages for notes, and we have one of those for every one of you all. When you arrive next week, you will get a Revelation journal that has the whole Bible, book of Revelation in it, and pages to to take notes. You can get those next Sunday, all right? And then the thing that Jake mentioned about the prayer thing that we're doing, this is brand new. We brought the board up. The board is at the back. If you turn around and look right there through the window, you can can see the board there, okay? So before you leave today, every adult Put your name on that board, all right? And we will explain to you all that that means. This is just a way that we are gonna be united as a team committed to prayer. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to do anything except for we're gonna encourage you to be praying in that, in that hour, okay? And it's a, it's a one hour a week thing, all right? Good. Okay, Matthew chapter 25. Today, we are gonna look at a passage that is about uh, the judgment of God and how he judges us. But I want to begin by introducing that God sees in secret. Secret's a good word, isn't it? The Proverbs teach us to not tell secrets, and you know that, right? They kind of create division when you're whispering over here, and these people are saying, well, what what are they whispering about, right? But sometimes when you have little girls in the house, it's fun to tell secrets and to cut up, and they don't really care what you're saying. They just like it when you're whispering in their ear, right? It It makes them laugh or giggle or whatever. But it's... Interesting to try to figure out what the secret is, isn't it? You tell a secret and now two people know what you're talking about and the other person's trying to, trying to guess. And the reality is with a secret is that you, you can't. I mean, if you had some clues, maybe you could, you could figure it out. But the truth is is that you can't figure out a secret without clues. A secret is something that you don't know. The Bible teaches us that God sees in secret. I want to remind you of that this morning. This truth is to shape your life. It's to shape your faith. God has no secrets. Or to say that better, we have no secrets kept from God. He knows them all. This is important as we read today at Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, "'Come, you who are blessed by my Father, "'inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.'" This is a killer passage, isn't it? This is so deep and so strong and so blunt. And it is one that you and I need to know. My first point today is the accountability to the king. The accountability to the king. The king being Jesus I use the word king here because it says in verse 31 that he will sit on his throne. Verse 31 says he will sit on his throne and kings sit on thrones and he is the king above all kings. He describes himself in verse 31 as the son of man. This is Jesus talking about Jesus. He is the king. The Bible teaches us a truth That regardless of year, generation, time, regardless, you are to know that you and I are accountable to God. If you have not been taught that and embraced that, oh, that you would today. More than you are accountable to your mom or your dad, more than you are accountable to your boss in your workplace, more than you are accountable to the man in the mirror. In good conscience and integrity and character, you are accountable to God. This should grip you. Not scare you into being fearful of everything in life and not having joy and purpose, but empowering you to know that you can have a relationship with your Father who sees in secret. God knows everything about you. You may right now be hiding a lot of things from your friends and hiding a lot of things from your family. You may have a hidden life and a secret life, and there may be a lot that you hope nobody finds out. But let me assure you, God already knows it. He sees it. If you look back to verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. There is coming a day when Jesus will return in bodily form. He will bring the angels with him and he will sit on his throne. Verse 32 Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is going to be one massive, impressive moment. Every human being ever will be gathered before the throne. I know it sounds wild, but that's all right. R.C. Sproul commenting on this says, when Christ comes again, and history is completed, all people of all times will be raised for the judgment and will take their place before Christ's throne. Listen, the event surpasses imagination, but the human imagination is not the measure of what God will do. We may not be able to grasp how that many people can be before a throne with one man on it, but God says that's what he's going to do, and that's what he's going to do. We are accountable to him. And this is not just a random teaching here in this uh, Matthew 25. This is something that the Bible wants us to know through and through. He sees us. We are to be controlled by the thought and the belief that God sees and knows. We are accountable to the king. Let me read to you a few scriptures. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hebrews nine twenty seven: just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment. The Bible is teaching us over and over again that we are accountable to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, this is a little bit longer. and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. Listen to this. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. There are passages upon passages upon passages that teach us that we are accountable to God. Now do you remember, I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night, in the Sermon on the Mount, when it says, the God who sees in secret, or, the, or your Father who sees in secret. Remember this? It's in the Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew chapter 6, and we have this phrase three times, your Father who sees in secret. Do you remember what those subjects are when he says that? This is the teaching of Jesus, he says it Three times. The third third one is in regard to fasting. If you fast and when you fast, you are to do it mindful that God sees. You don't need anybody else to see. People don't need to know that you're fasting. You're to even wash your face extra well so you don't look like you're struggling. Remember what the other one was? The other one is praying. Praying. You don't pray in a showy way. You don't stand up here and act like you're real spiritual. You don't do it only where people can see it. You don't do it with the amount of words you say. You do it in private in your room with the door closed because God sees in secret. But do you remember what the other one was? It's actually the first one in Matthew chapter six. What's the other setting where he says your father sees in secret? It's at the beginning of Matthew chapter six. It's in regards to the idea of hypocrisy, and he uses the word, Jesus does. But he talks about your father seeing in secret in regards to giving to the needy. A category that I wonder if it's even in your Christian life. Giving to the needy. This is going to be important for us, Matthew 6, 4, In regards to giving to the needy, your Father sees in secret. He knows how you give, why you give, in the manner in which you're giving, the heart that justifies not giving, giving to the needy. This is important because the passage today is about our accountability to God. He's about to explain in many ways what the judgment will be like. And it is certainly not the topics that we often hear about. Accountability is a good thing. You know that, right? You have to turn in your receipts if there's a place where you're supposed to. There are cameras all about, and so regardless of what you said you did, the cameras will reveal them. Accountability is a good thing, isn't it? Accountability lets us know, oh, we know there are consequences. Oh, we know that there is right and wrong. We know that there is somebody we answer to. And in truth, by faith, the Bible teaches us that there is a judgment with God. And the judgment is a good thing, not just to scare people, but to comfort us to get us focused on what we're supposed to be like, to have us really being people of character and integrity that could reflect God in this world. In writing on judgment, Sproul goes on and says, the judgment will demonstrate the perfect justice of God. In a world of sinners where God has, quote, allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, listen, evil is rampant. And so doubts arise about God. Isn't this very true? Isn't this very true? Because of the way the world is, and all the stuff we see and deal with, and ways that Christians don't live like Christians, and the way that people that are supposed to be examples aren't examples, and then just all the crookedness and deception and evil in the world, it creates doubt. He's speaking to this. He says... Doubts arise about how God, if he is sovereign, can be just. And if God is just, how can he be sovereign? But God will be glorified in rendering just judgment. And the last judgment that Jesus is talking about now will answer every suspicion that he has ceased to care about righteousness. No wonder the Bible teaches us about this so much. Because the world will create doubt in us, and yet the truth of God wants us to be secure in faith, believing that we know what life's like, that we know what God's like, that we know what will drive us in this life. And the first point today is accountability to God. Do you know that you're accountable to him? The Bible says he has every word written down. The Bible says that he will open up one day books with you before him and will address us on all that we've said and done. I remember a few years ago, I saw a sign at an apartment complex that said, move in for free, first payment not due for two months. And I remember lots of young people saying to me, man, that, that's great. You don't even have to have any money. We, we can go ahead and move in. We can't afford it, but we can go ahead and move in. I remember when I got out of high school, I had lots of friends that did that. As soon as they could, 18 years old, they moved out into an apartment. I remember many a dad saying, oh, just wait, they'll be back. But I remember this phrase. They said, hey, the sign says the first two months are free, but listen, eventually, you have to pay for it. And so it is with all credit or debts. Eventually, you have to pay for it. You know what that means? There may not be any accountability right now, or so it seems. But don't you think for a second that you won't eventually be accountable. And I don't care about your bills. But with God, that's true. I know, and you know, that you're thinking, I can go out here today and I can do whatever I want to do and there seems to be no consequence. I'll say what I want to say, lie when I need to lie, do whatever I need to do to position myself to look good and to succeed. I can kiss whoever I want to kiss, sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, watch on my phone, whatever I want to watch on my phone, spend my money however I want to spend my money. I can do whatever I want, and life has shown me there's very little consequence to it. And then Jesus speaks up for those that would dare read his word and believe him. And he says, well, one day he's going to come back. He's going to bring the angels with him He's going to sit on a throne, and every person from every nation will be gathered there. He's going to judge us. We are accountable to him. Eventually, we will have to pay for it. Number one, if we are accountable to the king in this passage, which is just the, the setting, but number 2 there is accessibility to his service accessibility to his service the word there is access access this passage takes a fascinating turn does it not this is not to be a sermon today on judgment but the setting is accountability the sermon today is about what the Standards are by which he will judge. And this passage takes us in a direction. If we're being honest, we have not focused on enough. If you look at verse 33, he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So what's gonna happen as he has everybody before him, he's going to separate them. You over here, heaven, eternal life, the kingdom of God with the Father. You over here, hell, judgment, suffering forever with the devil and his angels, not with the Father. That's going to happen. It's not gonna be through people groups, it's going to be one by one as it says, one from another. You, you, you like that. But based off of what? That's really the big question. You can get most anybody and everybody in the world to acknowledge okay, well, maybe there's going to be a judgment, but what will be the standard that he judges off of? I had a conversation a couple weeks ago. I talked about this a lot on Wednesday nights. With a guy back here on the basketball court, I've said this many times, when when you're shooting basketball by yourself, you gotta rebound your own shots. And that gets old really quickly, especially if you're shooting bricks and they're just flying all over the place. But if somebody will rebound for you, man, that's great. You can shoot and they can rebound. I saw a guy back there shooting by himself. So I went back there and I just started to rebound for him. He shot, I got it, I just patted. I just just keep shooting. And we started talking. And 30 minutes later, y'all, we're deep in it, deep in it. He had a different religion. He wasn't a Christian. But man, he knew his stuff. He believed. He had a lot of thoughts on what he believed. And so I asked him about hell and judgment and sin and how do you know sin and all that. He had all kinds of really, really good answers. And I said, but what about being saved and going to heaven? How do you get there? And here's what he said. God will look at our lives. He said this to me out here on the basketball court. God will look at our lives and he will see how much good we've done and he will see how much bad we've done. And we have to hope that he thinks we've done a good enough to get us to heaven. Y'all, he said that to me out there. And when he did, my heart sunk. I thought to myself, buddy, you're a great guy. He is a great guy. I think highly of him. But you're mistaken if you think you've done enough good that God will be proud of you to let you into heaven. And you're mistaken if you think you ain't done enough bad that he'll keep you out of heaven. Folks, we sin and you know it. And our minds and hearts at times can be a very dark place. The Bible says that God is going to judge us. And we are saved, listen to me, based off of forgiveness. We are not welcomed to heaven based off of goodness. You are not welcome to heaven based off of goodness. You are welcome to heaven based off forgiveness. Are your sins forgiven? Forgiveness comes through the work of Christ. If you know that you sin and you know that you need forgiveness from God Almighty and you believe that he gives gracious, merciful forgiveness through the work of Christ and you believe that, your sins are forgiven and you will be welcomed to heaven. That's so important. But from there this passage goes in a different direction. Look with me at verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Six different issues, six different examples, six different marks of real Christianity, six different marks of those who, by faith with their eyes on Christ, follow Him. Do you see the six? Food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, welcoming to the stranger, clothing for the naked. Visiting the sick and coming to those in prison. If there's anything that is a rude awakening to Christianity in our day, it is the absolute truthful teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is an embarrassment of how many people claim Christ and do not know what Jesus teaches. It is a shame and an embarrassment for churches and for Christian homes who think so much that Christianity is to be marked by a world of other things. And shame on so many people when things like money and income and jobs and the beauty of your family and the schools you go to and the education you have and God forbid the politicians that you vote for or the colors that you wear are marks of Christianity when the Lord Jesus himself says it's simple things like this. Christianity has been complicated like crazy in our world, but the Lord Jesus Christ speaking on it says, it is as basic as the year is old. Food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, clothing for the needy, people in prison, people that need to be welcomed. it is that. And at the judgment of God on the throne in front of everybody in the world, the conversation is gonna be on this. I I went to a concession stand the other day And I saw a young man wearing a shirt at the concession stand that said, let's go, Brandon. And it had a hashtag on it that said, FJB. I about threw up that I had to get a drink from him at the concession stand. But to take it a step further, hanging right in front of the FJB, was a cross. I would bet you anything in the world that whoever taught him to wear that shirt has not talked about those six things, and you know it's true. And in our day, when Christianity makes a joke out of itself right and left all over the place, you and I know that we have stopped thinking about who do I need to help today Who needs food? Who needs drink? Who needs warmth? Who needs clothing? Who needs care and sacrifice and service? Who needs it? That's not even on our horizon. But other petty, ridiculous, worldly things that worldly people get caught up in are now taking the place of Christianity. And you and I both are accountable to God. And you're gonna stand before him one day and when you do, the conversation is going to be on these six things. He says it himself. The conversation will be on these six things. Look at what is being discussed here by Jesus around his throne. It's not going on a foreign mission trip, it's not giving money. Money's not brought up here. It's not some large and challenging task, only for the elite. You don't have to be educated, you don't have to be pretty, you don't have to have money. Christianity is not those things. Christianity is people whose hearts have been forgiven of their sins and so they desire to help this broken world. Christianity is people who have found a God that receives them for how messy they are and wants to go out and receive the messy people. Christianity is for people who say Jesus died for sinners like me and I'm willing to die for sinners like them. It's obvious when we hear Jesus talk about it, that he has a heart for hurting people. It's obvious. That's why it's so hard to be a Christian in this day, because we are so misunderstood. We are so misrepresented. And you know it, and I know it, that oftentimes Christians are represented by the necklace they wear, or the hoodie that they wear, or the church they attend, or the name of the church they attend, or who they voted for, or who they didn't vote for or in most ridiculous of discussions, whether they wear a mask or whether they don't wear a mask. And oh, that you and I would be gripped and convicted and furthermore, spirit-empowered to say, I follow Jesus, the King of kings, and I'm accountable to him one day, and I know that. This passage teaches me that and that the things that will be discussed between me and my maker and me and my savior who bled on the cross for me are these six subjects. Now I know this isn't the only passage in the Bible and I know that there are other matters that will be discussed, I know that. But in this passage, it's these six things. And so often, our Christianity and our faith has forgotten about these basics, and it's become things that aren't even that big of a deal, worldly issues that have distracted us. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If time is short and hell is sure, if the days are evil and we need to make the most of every opportunity, then it would do us well to remind ourselves this morning that we have all sorts of access, accessibility into the service of the King. Many people today are freaking out in their Christianity, watching TV all the time, and overwhelmed on whether they can be Christian or whether they're not Christian. Should they believe this or should they believe not that? And how bad is the world getting? And all of these sorts of things instead of understanding that we have access into serving God. And it's as simple as, is there anybody in the world that is hungry? If so then we can serve the Lord Jesus. Is there anybody in the world that is thirsty? If so, then we can serve the Lord Jesus. Is there anybody in the world that is out of place, unwelcome, a stranger in a school? Is there anybody in the world that needs clothing? If so, then we can serve the Lord Jesus. We can live it out. We can walk by faith. We can obey. We can be real. We can rise to the occasion. Is there anybody in the world who is sick and needs to be visited? Think about how simple that is. Is there anybody in the world who is sick and needs to be visited? The Lord Jesus Christ says himself in your Bible right here in Matthew 25, I was sick and you visited me. Welcome to heaven. Unbelievable. Is there anybody in prison? We can go to them. Certainly, that would be challenging, but it's a possibility, and many people are doing it. There is accessibility to serving the King. When we think Christianity has to be something for the best, or the highest, or the highest citizens, or the best people, or something like that, we turn Christianity into something that it's not. Christianity is for people who have been saved by God, who know that they are the Father in heaven's children. Their eyes are on Christ who gave his life for them, and their lives are empowered by resurrection life because Christ rose from the grave. And we look at what he says is important. Loving your neighbor, loving your enemies, holding back your tongue. Pure and undefiled religion before the Father is that we take care of widows and orphans, and we keep ourselves unstained from the world. We care about who's hungry. We care about who's thirsty. We care about people being being welcome and clothed and visited, and we care about people. This is real Christianity, and you and I all have access to that. We do, if that is what matters to us. Now, he uses a phrase here that you've got to know in connection to this passage. It's in verse 40. If you look at verse 40, you have him saying, Truly I say to you, the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This phrase, least of these, is what this passage is all about. This is the least of these, and these people are the least of these. And while the Bible does teach us through and through, all throughout, that we are to care for all people and serve all people, love our enemies, lay down our lives, sacrifice ourselves, give and go and clothe and do all of that sort of stuff... I do want to point out to you that in this passage, it seems that the least of these are the Christian least of these. This is for our brothers and sisters. This is for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Zondervan Study Bible says it like this. Everywhere else in Matthew's Gospel, brothers and sisters means either biological siblings or spiritual kin. Least, the word least, is the superlative superlative form of little or little ones. And in Matthew, this always means little children or fellow believers. So, while other biblical texts teach the need to help needy people of of all religious persuasions, here, the focus is most likely on ministering to the Christian needy. The logic is identical to that in Matthew chapter 10, where the Bible teaches... Welcoming the Christian messenger implies welcoming the message. Welcoming the Christian messenger implies welcoming the message. And so what this passage is teaching us is that we care about those six categories of people, but we care about them along the lines of truth and Christ being Lord and serving our Lord as we serve his body Serving our Lord as we serve His people, serving our Lord as we serve His message. There is accessibility to His service. So the issue then becomes do we really want our Christianity to be as basic as that? Do we want a Christ Christianity? Do we want it to be what He says it is, or do we want it to be what we've turned it into? Because the opportunity is there. So thirdly and lastly this morning, we must ask about our attitude. Our attitude toward the least of these. Our attitude toward the least of these. Number one, there's accountability to the king. Number two, there's there's accessibility to his service And number three, there's attitude toward the least of these. It is the response to this service that shapes the judgment here, isn't it? And that makes this a most remarkable passage, one that every Christian and every child of God and every believer must know and understand. This passage in God's Word is critical in the life of the true follower of Jesus, From the very mouth of Jesus, we hear and we see what he expects from us. Our attitude towards these verses, this truth, is so very important. Our attitude toward the least of these is the evidence of our true heart, our true faith, our true salvation, or our lack thereof. How we feel and how we respond, and how we are moved to faithful obedience toward the least of these of our brothers and sisters reveals where our heart really is. That's the whole point of that being the discussion at judgment. We can say, and we often do, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And if you stood before God today in judgment and he said, why should I let you in to heaven? What would you say? And these are good questions. I like these questions. I use these from time to time in outreach and conversation and testimony and witness and evangelism. It's good to get people to think along those lines. And we know. That the answer to that, the the bare bones, down, simple, basic answer to that is Christ. Christ is my Savior. My sins are forgiven. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We know that. That's the answer. But whether we actually believe that works itself out in our lives day to day, hour by hour, based off our accountability to him. Knowing that our Savior is worshiped by our lives drives what we do. Knowing that we will one day stand before God influences what we do. And so in this passage... Not at all saying that we're saved by these good works, but, but totally saying that our hearts are revealed, our faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, who he is and what he expects is played out in the lives that we live, our attitude toward the least of these. And so this passage becomes eye-opening. There are people out there who call Jesus Lord I'm being careful here, okay? I'm trying to be careful here. There are people out there who call Jesus Lord and they do not feed the hungry, nor give drink to the thirsty. I'm not looking around and drawing these conclusions. I'm telling you all what Jesus says in this passage. There are people out there who call Jesus Lord and they do not feed the hungry, nor give drink to the thirsty. They do not welcome strangers. They do not give clothing to the naked. They do not visit those in prison. They call Jesus Lord and do not do those things. And then, to make matters worse, they are not aware, okay, talk about self-awareness, which is a huge word these days, is it not? They are not aware that they had opportunity to serve in this way. They are people like we see all over the place going, well, I didn't know that there was anybody hungry in the world. I didn't know that there was anybody thirsty in the world. I didn't know that there was a need for clothing in the world. I didn't know we had people in prison. I didn't know that there were people that need to be welcomed in this world. God, when when did I have an opportunity? That's what they say. To make it even more worse, they do not understand that serving the least of these according to Christ is at the same time serving Christ. They don't know that. And so there is a massive failure in the life of those so called Christians that they think they're serving God and they are not serving God. I don't know what they're serving, but they're not serving Christ. And he doesn't pat them on the back and say, go and try again. He doesn't pat them on the back and say, well, that's okay. He says, go to hell with the devil and his angels. That's what he says. That's what this passage is teaching us. All based off the hungry, the thirsty. That's that's what Jesus is dealing with. All that we would get it, that we would believe. They didn't understand what Christianity was really about. They didn't understand mercy and grace toward sinful, needy people and therefore go and live that out with their lives. They didn't get that. The person who neglects this teaching is rejected by God in the judgment. And so, church, this cannot be us. Let me show you that this is their attitude, okay? Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at this. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? They call him Lord. Lord. They think they follow him. They think they believe. They think they're going to heaven, and they're not. And when he says, you don't live for me, they're like, well, when could we have? Based off all that they thought it was, they thought they were. They didn't know the true Christ. They didn't know the true Christianity. They didn't know the people who've turned their backs against the world And say, I don't care what anybody tells me Christianity is supposed to look like. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what those people say. I follow Christ. Here's what he says. And so here's how we live. Here's what we do. We don't care what everybody else says about what Christianity is, we care what Jesus says. He's the one who loves us most, he's the one who died for us. Their attitude toward the least of these is terrible. And they don't understand that how we treat those people reveals things. They don't understand that it's connected to serving God. And so their attitude is wrong. But on the other end of that, praise the Lord, is that not everybody's this way. There is another attitude out there. There's another set of people in this passage. There is a new and living, grace-filled heart that's full of mercy toward the least of these. There are people in this world, true Christians, doctors that make well over six figures, potentially seven figures, that are glad to move to places in the world and never be known again and grind away among the least of these. That's a real thing because those people read their Bibles and they know what the real Jesus is like and they know what he prioritizes and that's real Christianity. It may be super blurry in our day, but it's out there. These people call Jesus Lord and they serve him. They serve him genuinely through the many ways that they serve the least of these. If there's a need in the world, they want to meet it. If there's a belly that's hungry or a mouth that needs food, they want to get the food there. If there's somebody that's thirsty, they can go get the drink. If there is somebody that needs some clothing, they will give their clothes off their back, their shoes off their feet. They will go to the store and get them. They know that they have the means to get the clothing to people that need the clothing. We could go on and on. Visiting the sick, going to prison, doing all of that. This passage is phenomenal. Oh, that your Christianity would not be absent of Christ. Oh, that your Christian living and your Christian obedience would not be missing Jesus and what He's about. In this passage, the King says, Come on into heaven. Welcome to the kingdom that the Father prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Live with me forever, eternal life, glorious. And he says, before he asks them anything, you fed me, you gave me drink, you gave me clothing, you visited me, you welcomed me, you did all of that. And the ones who receive it, their attitude is, when? But they don't ask when because they're not doing it. They ask when, because they are doing it. Their heart or attitude was so touched by the salvation that came through Christ that their response in this life is to live the way Christ lives. Church, may that be us. There is an attitude toward the least of these that is wrong. And there is an attitude toward the least of these that is beautiful, applauded by God, praised by God. There is accessibility all around us to serve those in need. If you were here today and you would admit, I don't do that. I haven't even been thinking about my Christianity being that. I didn't know that there were needs around us. If you would humbly admit that, we can show you needs all day long. We can get you involved in helping those that need help. I'm not talking about in the world. I just made the point that I think this is talking about believers. I'm talking about the believers. I'm talking about people that are here this morning. I'm talking about people that we know, Christians. And whether you think this matters or not, is all based off accountability To God. Every once in a while in our house, I'll start getting on our kids asking them to go do something. And they'll come back and they'll say something like, Well, there's nothing to do. We're bored here. Do y'all's kids say that sometimes? It's a terrible thing when kids say that they're bored. We got everything you could possibly want. Soccer goals, basketball goals, bikes, go-karts, board games, video games. We got literally everything they've ever made to keep a kid busy. And there's nothing to do here. It's so boring. The whole issue there is their heart toward it, isn't it? That's the whole issue. There's some days where they love playing with all that stuff. It's not that there's nothing to do. It's their heart toward it. And in this world, real Christianity is completely based off our heart toward Christ. And Josh Womble prayed for our pastors today, and I'm glad that he did. And myself and Matt and Jake and Josh We don't want you all to be worldly Christians disconnected from this. We want to empower you and push you and teach you to say that's what Jesus is like. That is what matters to him. And it matters to me. May that be the case. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you Thank you for our Lord Jesus and this strong message on accountability, accessibility, and attitude. Father, I pray that we would have a heart for you and therefore those needy around us. You see in secret where our hearts really are. Father, we thank you We thank you, God, that you have taught us that real salvation is based off the heart. What's our heart really focused on? So we ask, God, that you would help us. God, I pray that this church and we people and each of us would be true followers of Jesus. That widows, orphans, Lives that aren't stained by the world. Needy people. Needy believers. Needy. God, that that would be what we want to be involved with as we walk it out truly, living for Jesus. Oh, God, help us with that. Drive us towards faith and repentance. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray, amen.